Today is November 9th, 2014. Uh, the name of today's message is Suntans and Combat Boots. Suntans and Combat Boots. Well, you'll see why here in a minute, hopefully. Um, uh, it's on a day like today that it's, uh, it's, it's just a great honor. Obviously, we talked about our Peru trip. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to reference that in just a little while. Um, but when you come and you hear words that are given during the prayer time this morning, um, when you hear prophecies given from one of our elders, Steve, and it lines up with what you feel like God has for you, uh, part of me just is like, hey, we don't need to do it. You've, we've already heard from God. Let's high-five and hug and go home. But then again, I also know that God has given us a word today. I want to encourage you with this word. My heart's desire this morning is that you be encouraged from the word of God, that we not just listen to it, uh, that we not just keep it for here, but that it actually impacts us. So suntans and combat boots. If you'll turn to Joshua chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 1. Joshua 10 verse 1. Say there when you are there. Amen. Starting in verse 1. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. Verse 2. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, this is an ungodly king. Adonai should be a familiar part to us. His name actually means Lord of Righteousness. That's what his name means. It's Lord of Righteousness. Uh, he is far from that. <laughs> this is not an actual indication of his true character. But this is what he is called. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appeared to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon with, uh, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Okay, let me stop and give you just a little bit of history. Uh, Joshua has entered the, uh, the promised land. He's conquered Jericho. He went to Ai. And what happened there? He started to conquer them or he attacked them and failed because there was sin in the camp. Right, we know these stories, so I'm just kind of piecing it together because this is chapter by chapter that leads up to here. So there was sin in the camp. They found out. They went back and they attacked Ai again, and they they were victorious. They got the sin out. They were able to be victorious. The very next chapter, the Gibeonites, who actually lived pretty close to where Joshua was, they said, hey, we're going to come, and they deceived Joshua and the elders of the people. They came, and they had old wineskins that were patched, they brought moldy bread. They wore tattered clothing and said, hey, we're from far off. Want to, want to make a treaty with us? And it's interesting. The Bible says that Joshua and the elders didn't inquire of the Lord. They just made a decision and said, well, looks your bread is moldy and you're worn out clothes, so maybe you must be from afar off. And they made a treaty with them. And then it says a few days later they realized that these guys were just right up the road, as we would say. Right? They were just right around the corner. They were only three days away, three days journey. Joshua got there, went three days and found him. He said, why did you guys lie to me? He said, well, you were powerful and we didn't want to, we, we wanted to get on your good side. Right? So 
the people were mad at Joshua and the elders because they had committed the entire nation of Israel to something, and they realized that they were deceived on this. So this leads up to where we are. Okay? So Adonai Zedek hears about this treaty and says, "Uh uh-uh, we're not going to do this. As a matter of fact, let me get me and four of my friends. We're going to have five of us, and we're going to come and attack the Gibeonites. Verse 5, then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon joined forces. You ever felt like you've been ganged up on? Right? You're trying to do something and you feel like the entire world is ganging up against you. All the circumstances that you seem, it's not only people, but it's then your car breaks and your kids get sick and you're struggling with this and work's not going well and you're trying to advance the kingdom. Seems like everything starts to gang up on you. They moved up with all their troops. Everybody say all. Not just a little attack. This is a major attack designed to absolutely crush the Gibeonites. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. Verse 6. Then the Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. They just deceived the people of God. This is happening as the very next event of any importance. Do not abandon your servants. Come up, to, come up to us quickly and save us. Have you ever tried to help someone? And then it seems to get more and more complicated as you're trying to help them. You thought you could just, uh, you know, let me encourage you, let me buy you lunch. Well, then you realize that after you bought them lunch, then they need a ride somewhere. And you realize that the ride they need is like 47 miles away. And it just kind of keeps growing here. So uh, do not abandon your servants. This is kind of what it feels like to me. I'm, I'm thinking like Joshua going, look, you already tricked us. We're going to go ahead and make you our servants, but kind of our bad here. You're already going to be uh, a burden to us. And then even more, do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Now think about kind of where just, I'm trying to set the stage here. Verse seven. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. Do you ever wonder why the Bible says certain things? Like if you just look at it, that scripture looks redundant to me. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. Well, you just said the whole army. So I would presume that all the best fighting men are with the whole army. I think it's trying to make a point here. Joshua was determined to do things the right way. He got a, a, he got a cry for help from people who had just suckered him. And you know what he did? He brought everything he had to come and defend them. He brought the best that he had. He left nothing behind. He said, if we're going to go do this, we're going to do this. I'm over the fact of whether they tricked me or not. I made a vow to God and I made a vow to them. It is what it is at this point. Let's just go forward. And he brings the very best that he has. Verse 8, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. Uh, Isn't that interesting? Joshua made the commitment, and then the Lord spoke. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. I just want to encourage you this morning. One of the many things that I hope to encourage you this morning is this. Even your mistakes, God can use. If you've made a mistake, I'm sorry. I know that that hurts and we're offended and we're embarrassed by things. 
I'm going to share a great mistake that I made this morning. I should win a parent of the year award. So we have three children, just three. Some of you have a lot more. God bless you. We have three. Somehow, in the midst of us getting five people to church, two adults, three children, we missed one. How exactly you can give me the honor and the trophy later of parent of the year. I got up here early for worship. I didn't communicate well with my wife, my oldest, who is now running the camera. Hey, Gabe. At home, in bed. Awesome. Makes me feel great about myself. Thanks. You know, there are mistakes that happen, folks. God is not after our perfection. Do you know what it does? It actually changes this. Joshua's mistake of not inquiring of the Lord when he should have. God has said, I got you, man. Don't worry about that. You know what I'm going to do? Instead of having you destroy people one at a time, I'm going to let you take out five people at a time. Uh, Not five people. I'm sorry. Five nations, five kingdoms. I'm going to go ahead and let you. That was a mistake, but you're you're trying to honor what you did, even though it was a mistake, and I'm going to be with you. They will not be able to withstand you. Everybody say withstand. As I was reading through this, you know what I realized? I realized that in my life, um, it's an interesting word to say to withstand someone. He didn't say that you will um, exist. He didn't say that you will endure through the tough times, brother. He said they're not going to be able to withstand you. When I think of endure, I think of something passive and the enemy is driving forces against me. Pow, pow. Is endurance important as a believer? You better believe it is. In this case, that's not what the Lord is saying to him. He says, they're not going to be able to withstand you. When you come and advance against them, when you as God's people attack them, they're not going to be able to handle what you have towards them. I loved that thought this morning. That even in the mistake, let's take a look at Luke chapter 5. Keep your place there in Joshua 10 because we're coming back to it. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. Y'all awake this morning? All right, just checking. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gisenaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Throng of people around Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Right, whole crowd. He's there by the water's edge, and he sees two boats. The fishermen are just cleaning their nets. You know why they're cleaning their nets, right? Because they caught zip the night before. He's about to tell them to go out and cast their nets, right? And they're going to say, look, we haven't caught anything. We are professional fishermen. We know how to do this. Nevertheless, as you say, we'll go and do. They had a huge harvest, right? I don't even want to get to that part yet. But before he gets there, they struck out. They got nothing. They're licking their wounds and cleaning their nets. That's what they're doing. And so what does it say that Jesus does? Verse 3, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So he gets in, and I can, in, in my mind, they push out into the water just a little bit. And I can see Simon kind of standing there, 
holding the hull of the boat as Jesus is sitting and talking and teaching people. He wanted to get to a place where everyone could see him and everyone could hear him. So he pushed out in the water just a little bit. I'm not saying it was this deep. I'm just saying what it looks like in my mind's eye. They were kind of just sitting there and Jesus was able to teach. Um, The very thing that those fishermen had just struck out in, if you want to look at it from the worldly point of view, they had just failed. They're fishermen with no fish. They are supposed to be doing something, and it doesn't seem like they're actually able to accomplish it. God can take our failures and our problems, and he just makes it a platform for him to speak from. We think that we're only successful if the numbers are right and if people are are, uh, encouraging us the right way and if we feel good about it. Sometimes it's our emptiness that allows God the platform to speak from. Does that make sense? If it was full of fish, he couldn't have used that boat to speak to the people. We think that we fail when we feel empty. We think that we fail if we feel discouraged. I'm telling you, that's not the case. Wherever you are, Whatever that God has been doing in your life, don't think that he's forgotten about you because you come up against a time where you feel unsuccessful. I can tell you that there are days where I feel like a failure. We've shared this before. We moved in June here to Houston. There have been days, and we've loved it, by the way. I'm going to tell you this has been a great time. We love serving you guys. We love getting to know you. And and yet there have been days where I look at my wife and I'm like, what are we doing? I don't have a job. We're here because God told us to. This church is so well pastored. I don't know that you need us. We'll be, we'll do our best, but you don't need us. There's not a, what are we doing? I'm like, I feel like my boat is empty. Oh, I guess that means we got room for you, Jesus. I guess you can just push out from shore and use us. And if I, if all I am is a platform for him, My God, what an honor. He doesn't need me to be strong in my own strength. He just needs me to be available. He needs me to be not so caught up in my own failures, my own lack, that I forget to allow him to use me. What if Simon had been like, uh, uh. We know the rest of that story, but the first part of it is sometimes the thing that we miss. Their emptiness was a platform for God to use. Back to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10, verse 8. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. You're going to be a force that is greater than what they can handle. Verse 9, after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. Ha-ha! Sneak attack. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. Aren't you glad? (laughs) We don't like being in confusion, but actually our God can cause the enemy to be confused. You feel like sometimes that the enemy is the one that's got it all figured out? I'm telling you, we serve a God who can throw the enemy into confusion. Uh, I was on a, a mission trip to Mozambique, Africa a couple years ago, and we were going through, um, I had a team of about 10 people with me. We packed all of our belongings for two weeks in a backpack, and we had huge duffel bags full of stuff to give orphans there. That's what we were going to do. And we got to uh, Johannesburg, South Africa, and um, 
I saw the Lord throw the enemy into confusion. We had a group. Um, our luggage was actually supposed to be on the connection to go to Maputo, the capital of Mozambique. And a lady at the, at, as soon as we were getting off, she was like, you need to go get your luggage. Okay. So we went and got uh, 18 of the 19 bags that we had with us. And one of the um, customs agents said, ah, you come over here. And we had some very sweet young ladies at the front. And they were like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, no, just keep walking. <laughs> just keep going. And so who's the leader? That's me. Walked up and you must pay. No, nah, no, I'm not going to pay you. Yeah, starts trying to explain to you about the tax. It's an interesting thing when the government official, who am I going to go to? I ain't going to go to nobody except Jesus, right? So he's there and he starts, I said, this is for orphans. We are giving this to orphans. I'm not going to pay you. Ah, so we go back and forth for a few minutes. And then it was interesting. Uh, he starts talking to me and I just actually just got perfectly silent. I just stood there. And the people on the team were like, we didn't know what was going on because you just got quiet. I literally, I just stood there. You must pay. I didn't nod. I didn't acknowledge. I just stood there. I was like, <laughs> so here's what I was doing. Lord, <laughs> you better take care of this. I don't want to give this joker a couple hundred bucks that he's going to go have a date night on. This is God's materials, and this is God's money that I have with me. I'm, I don't want to give him a piece of that. I don't want to have a hoof left behind. And so I sat there, and he didn't know what to do when I didn't argue back with him. Uh, you are you are together as a group. So I took out a binder, a folder that I had, and I opened it up, and I, it was literally printouts from emails for everybody's flight confirmation. It was just, it was nothing. I was a nerd. I had it with me in case something happened. I literally just started going, see, look at this. I'm just pointing at like random seat numbers. Do you see this? Look at this. Look, you, look at it. Uh, uh, oh, okay, you go. Bonus. <laughs> I would not recommend trying it that way. We did not have to pay one penny. We got all of our stuff. What we didn't know was that it we really, it should have been connected through, but had we not done that, we literally had to, we spent the night, an extra night in Johannesburg, but had we not done that, they had messed up and we wouldn't have had 18 of the 19 bags that we needed to bless the children. So even what we thought was a failure, we missed the plane that we were supposed to get to because I'm talking to this customs guy. But he threw them into confusion so that his plan could be worked out in us. We've got to get over this idea of what success looks like. Success is us being obedient to Jesus Christ and nothing else. In our American churches, we've said that success means that you're going to have more people in your, in your auditorium. Success is that you're going to have more money in your bank account. Do we serve a God of abundance? Absolutely. Can he bless you? Amen. I'm praying for everybody in here to be blessed. But what success is, is us being obedient to God's call on our life. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. This is it. This is the standard that we go with. If you're obedient and someone laughs at you, you win. If you're obedient and someone gets angry and turns away and walks out of church, if you were obedient and did it exactly the way God said, you're successful. 
if your bank account shrinks because you start tithing better. You're successful. I have heard over and over again, hey, if you tithe, if you give, you can't outgive God. Well, amen. Of course you can't. But it doesn't mean that if I give tithes today that my bank account will increase tenfold. Then am I giving to the Lord or am I giving to increase my bank account? Y'all might be more mature to be able to separate that out. I'm not. If I give a dollar, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not too stupid here. Your return of investment is pretty good if I give to the church and you're telling me that I'm going to get 10 or 100 fold from that. I'm going to give because I love the Lord and he tells me to. I'm going to give all that I have. 10% is the minimum, by the way, right? This is a very giving church. I'm not hammering on that. I'm not trying to get at you like that. I'm saying this is what I hear all the time from churches. You give and, oh, God will bless you. Hey, man, but what if the blessing isn't financial? What if that emptiness in your financial part helps you and develops you in a way and he orchestrates where you step and where you go so that God can use you? And what if he blesses you financially? What better be because he's pushing you in a direction and he's going to use you and anoint you in that capacity. Whether we have or have not is not the issue. Whether we are obedient or not is the issue. After an all-night march from Gilgal, all night, I'd be tired. Some people think they may have gone as many as a three-day journey. Some Bible scholars actually think it was such a long journey, but they did it so quickly is part of what startled, and the fact it was overnight, is part of what startled these kingdoms. Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory. Everybody say great victory. You know what else we don't do very well sometimes? We don't celebrate the great victories. We're struggling. We're, we're, oh, we're trying to do something. We're trying to move through and, and work in this area, and we can't seem to overcome, and we finally overcome. And you know what we do? We just worry about the next thing. We don't actually celebrate the great victory that God just did. Did he speak to you? Yes. Did he prove his word to be true 100%? Absolutely. Would you, would you slow down a second and enjoy that? Would you, would you look at the miracles that he has done in your life? I know there's more to do. I get that. There's more kingdoms to defeat. I understand. Enjoy the great victories because in that is your success. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and uh, Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Isn't that just like God? Even while you're winning and you're fighting, it's really more of God than it is of you anyway. He literally caused hailstones to fall on people. Um, yeah, I'm going to have my sword and I'm going to do my best, but <laughs> seriously, it can't be about what we can or cannot do. It's got to be about a miracle working God. As they fled before Israel, uh, I'm sorry, large hail down from the sky, hailstones that were killing more than were killed by the hailstones than were killed by the swords. Verse 12, on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O son, stand still over Gibeon, O moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. I almost named this message, who do you think you are? 
from this little part right here. Um, as a former school teacher and principal, you know what I used to, there would be some kids who would say something. You need to do this. Get a, the vein in my forehead would start popping out. I need say what? What do I need to do, Mr. Ninth grade little arrogant child? What? But I, I didn't often say this out loud, but often in my heart, I was like, who do you think you are? You don't know the information. You don't know the details. Your perspective is so microscopic compared to what's going on. And you're going to tell me what I'm supposed to do? Even if they were right. <laughs> like, who do you think you are? Most of the time we use that phrase to say, you need to back up. Um, my dad and mom used to say it this way. You're getting too big for your britches, right? You're getting uh, less humble than you should be. You've forgotten your place. Why don't you get back down in your place? The way that the phrase hit me while I was reading this is, who do you think you are, Joshua? I think Joshua had a very clear picture of who he was. Joshua asked the God of all creation to cause the sun to stand still in the sky. He, he asked God to keep the sun still in the sky. When you read Bible commentaries, there's a lot of thoughts on, did it really stand still? I actually read Bible scholars who said, well, perhaps the Lord allowed them to do so much work that it felt like two days worth of work in one day. Isn't that just like mankind? When God does do a miracle, we want to rationalize it and say, no, really, it was still human effort. It was really the strength of our own arm. Other people are trying to explain whether the, the tilt changed or the earth stopped rotating or the whole entire solar system stopped for a day. I don't know. But I know that God caused the sun and the moon to stand still in the sky for about the span of a day. So for 24 hours, that's why I called it a suntan. Sun stayed out a lot longer and they were out there battling. Who do you think you are, Joshua? I love the fact that he knew exactly who he was. When you think back to, let's turn to Deuteronomy, keep your place there. Uh, just back a few pages to Deuteronomy chapter 31. I'll tell you who he thought he was. Deuteronomy 31. And let's just read verse 6. Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, in the presence of all of Israel, this is Moses handing over the reins to Joshua, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Can I just share with you guys this morning those same encouragements? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Steve mentioned about what fear is. The devil is a liar. It's because it's in his nature. He cannot do anything else but lie. Correct? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take a look at 
Joshua chapter 1, just a few pages back the other way. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. It says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to them. Uh, I think we just heard this. Yeah, you did. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. How do we define success? Right there. So that you might be careful to do everything written in it. We meditate on his word day and night so that we can do it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. We try to do success sometimes without the obedience part. You can't separate the two in the kingdom. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now back to chapter 10. So the sun stayed still in the middle of the sky for about a day. Incredible. So these people have been up all night before marching in. They're battling through a 48-ish hour day. Okay. Verse 16. Now the five kings had fled and hid in the cave at Makeda. So the kings realized they were in trouble. They go hide. That guy who had the Italian cruise ship or something got too close to the, like he wrecked the entire cruise ship because he was trying to do a, a flyby, a, a drive-by and impress someone. Who was one of the first people off the ship? That captain. Uh, I, uh, I thought I could do more help uh, looking on the land, <laughs> from the land. <laughs> it reminds me that when I read this, I was like, oh, yeah, still happens that way. When Joshua was told the five kings had been found hiding in the cave at Makeda, he said, roll large rocks up to the mouth of the cave and post some men there to guard it. Um, just a word of encouragement for you. I love the way that Joshua didn't get dissuaded from the main purpose of what he was doing. Sometimes the world that we live in tries to make everything feel of equal importance. You got your spouse, you got your kids, you got jobs and finances and responsibilities. And it, it, I think that one of the things the enemy does is try to make everything feel equally important. And then we get confused on really what we're supposed to be doing. And we kind of jump from thing to thing. We kind of leapfrog from this thing to over to this thing. And we never really complete what God has. What Joshua said is, I'm after this army. I see you boys over there. Hey, lock them in there for a while. I'm coming back to you, but I don't have time to deal with you right now. It's one of the things I learned as a principal. Um, I can't possibly meet with everybody when they want to meet. So I learned that I better address them quickly, especially if they're mad at me. I hear you. I understand. We'll meet on Thursday. Oh, I actually never had anyone get mad at me for saying this is the earliest that I can meet with you. You know what I was doing? I was saying, hey, put a rock over that cave. I got to finish this battle that I'm dealing with, and I'm going to come back to this in just a minute. I'm not going to forget. <laughs> I didn't do it out of sight, out of mind, or cross it off the list before it was done. All I did was be in charge of what God is giving me to do. I'll get to you. I'll give you my word as a man of God. I'll get to you on Thursday. You know what I found out that most of the time? 
dealing with angry people. It allowed them to cool off a little bit, allowed them to think about it a little bit, what they thought was horrible. The moment that it happened, their child got home and told how bad I was because I suspended them. Uh, things had calmed down, and we had a great, we would end up having very positive meetings because I just gave it time. Ladies and gentlemen, please be in charge of your own schedule. Please have your own priorities of what God is doing in your life. Understand, receive word from the Lord, and order your life around that. I don't always do that well, but that's what I try to do. God, don't let me be pulled off onto something that you really don't have me doing, but I think it looks nice, and I like it, and it may make me feel better about my walk. It may make me distracted from the fact that my boat is empty and I have no fish, so I'm going to go over here and do something. Um, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, it also talks about this. It's Nehemiah, I think it's chapter 6. But when you read it, he had just finished the wall. He didn't, have, he didn't even have the gates up. But there were no breaches in the wall anymore except where the gates were supposed to be dropped. And people were coming up to him and saying, hey, you need to come over here. Come over here. Come over here. He said, no. I've got a job to do and I'm not leaving until it's done. Hey, come on over here. He says four or five times they asked him. And then when they realized they couldn't beckon him, they started trying to supplant and deceive him. Hey, I heard there are bad people that are going to come and kill you. You might want to leave and come over here. Am I such a man who's going to run away? I'm dealing with a project from the Lord. I have no time for this. He literally, the, his, these enemies had hired a prophet to lie. I call it prophet lying. Right? <laughs> like a prophecy, but not. Right? In the name of the Lord, someone who lies to you for deception. They came along and they were trying to pull him away from what, from what was the intent of God, that God had for him. Hey, folks, don't be pulled off of the purpose that God has for you. Just because it's shiny and it, it <laughs> like a bell, don't, <laughs> oh, look, I guess God's over here now. No, no, no. I'll get to you. Verse 19. But don't stop. Pursue your enemies and attack them from the rear and don't let them reach their cities for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. So Joshua and the Israelites destroyed them completely, almost to a man. They literally almost got everybody in every army. But the few who were left reached, uh, who left, reached their fortified cities. The whole army then returned safely to Joshua in the camp at Makeda and no one uttered a word against the Israelites. One of the... Um, Bible scholar says it was something like not even dogs. The implication, the way it said, is like nobody even messed with them. Dogs weren't even looking at them and barking at them as the whole army was walking back. It was they so conquered that it produced peace in their area. Verse 22, Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave. Now he went back to the other task that he knew he had to get back to on his time. Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jeremoth, Lachish, and Eglon. When they brought out these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. You realize who the they is right there, right? They. Let's, let's see. When they brought these kings out to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders. 
at the very least, we've got just the commanders who are going to come up and put their foot on the necks of these defeated kings. (laughs) I wish I had combat boots. Can you imagine? I'm going to have to lay a man down on the ground, right? If I'm going to step on his neck, I can't stand on his neck while he's standing. I mean, I could because I'm a ninja, but, you know, I don't, I don't like to show off. So you lay him on the ground and you put your foot on his neck. You put your combat boot right upside his head. It's a sign that you have ultimately and utterly destroyed this man. There's part of me that would like to think that he had every man in Israel do this. Can you imagine 500,000, 600,000 filling up a, one of our giant football stadiums six times over and people coming and putting their neck, I mean, putting their boot on the neck of the enemy. Why would you do that? Ah, we're, we're conquerors. Yes, but you know, sometimes what we need to know is we need to know what it feels like to be really successful at something. That's a good feeling. I'm going to put my boot on your neck. I'm going to put these size 11s, 12s, 15s, 4, whatever size you got, we're going to put it on the neck of the enemy. Uh, We've been doing our prayer list for our team in Peru. I've been trying to give updates on that. You know why? Because I want you to know that we as a people are putting our boot on the neck of the enemy in Peru. Hey, folks, this is us putting our boot on the neck of the enemy. We are not subject to them. They cannot withstand us. <laughs> we feel that there's an onslaught from the enemy. The truth is, is they can't handle what we have. We don't need to go in our own strength. These, the, putting your boot on something is not a physical macho thing. It's not for men only. This is a kingdom principle that God has given us victory, and we need to be reminded of that. We need to know what that feels like. Because you know what they did after this? They had to go out and continue to battle. They literally went to every region that these kings had just been defeated in. They went to every one of them and wiped them all out. They made sure that the victory was in totality. They did exactly what God had called them to do. But they put their boot on the neck of the enemy. In some of our lives, we forget that. We forget that. We forget to celebrate the great victories and go, you know what, Nolan? You can put your boot on the neck of the enemy. We are more than conquerors. There are people who have used these things to make it only about what we can gain. But you know what? It doesn't change the scripture that says we are more than conquerors. We are designed. We are on the winning team. Sometimes we need to wake ourselves from the, from the, we need to shake off the cobwebs and go, no, 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 wait, 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 hold up. I'm going to get to you in a minute. Oh, no, I'm going to come back to you. You don't worry about that. I'm not going to forget you. But I've got a purpose here. I've got something that God has called me to do. I'm not going to sit here and worry about myself. I'm going to figure out what God has given me to do. I'm going to go do it because I'm the one. It's my foot that's on his neck. Romans 16, 20, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan. Where? Under your feet. Under your feet. That means get up and fight. That means get up and get back in the battle. I'm sorry if you've been wounded. I really am. I'm sorry if you're battling cancer. But you know what? We're going to stand with you, and collectively, we're going to put our boot on the neck of cancer. That's crazy. 
That's crazy. Why would you do that? What if you say it? uh, You know what? I'm going to put my boot on the neck of the enemy. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to back down. But we have to remember that in our everyday lives. It's not when we get here. This is the huddle. We huddle. Whew. Man, that was a rough play. Man, I got, oh, I'm sore. Amen. We love you. We'll pray for you in Jesus' name. Now, you ready? Break. Go back out there. Keep putting your boot on the neck of the enemy. Keep fighting for the lost loved ones that you have. Keep fighting for the children who aren't doing things right. Keep fighting for your marriage. Keep fighting for the ministry. Keep doing what God has given you to do with an unrelenting spirit. There's an incredible thing it says right here. So they came forward and put their feet on their necks. Joshua said to them, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. We keep getting kind of the same this same ebb and flow from this, right? This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. Joshua makes the connection and says, it's not just these five. When we're praying for Alicia to have a healthy baby, when we're praying for adoptions from Haiti, when we're praying for physical healings, we're saying it's not just the same. When we get a victory, it's God showing us that the victory is ours. What happens when it doesn't work out the way we think? All I know is my boot is going to be on the neck of the enemy. And I'm going to keep pursuing righteousness. And I'm going to keep doing exactly what God says. Because I'm not going to look at an empty boat and think that I failed. I'm just going to give him a platform. Well, that didn't work out the way I thought. Can I tell you how many times in my life what God told me didn't work out the way that I thought? Actually, I can give you an exact number. It's every time (laughs) it hardly, it almost never works out the way I thought it was going to work out. It's always longer. It's always more difficult. It's always a windy route, not the direct route. Lest I get overcome from something simple. But we have this here and it says, Joshua said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you're going to fight. Even if it takes my entire life. Even it takes me giving up my life. It doesn't mean that this is wrong. The words there, and and probably Pastor Eric has has spoken on this. I tried to search our database and I found two sermons. I would imagine he's done it probably more than that. In 2012, there was a sermon called Seven Days of Praise. Earlier this year, at some point, there was one called Leaving Succoth and the Curse of Meraz. And and this this is what I was searching for. When it says, be strong and courageous, it became a war cry for the, for the Jewish nation. Some of you guys remember this probably. I see some head shaking. Rock, Kazakh, Amats. Be strong and courageous. Really what Kazakh means is these are some of the, the ways that I, that I kind of interpreted it. It's a tenacity of your soul. It's a tenacity. It's the gritting of your teeth. It's bearing of your teeth. <sighs> If I turn your neighbor, just growl at him. Okay, interesting. It's a resolute growling. It's a tensing of all the muscles. You get you, a, a great athlete. <laughs> Not me. But, a, you know, a great athlete, you see people, and they're about when they're about to do something, you can put it in slow motion, and you can see all of their muscles in their body tensing. They're about to spring forward. It's the idea of a hand being frozen to a sword. 
It's this tensing and getting ready. Kazakh, the Amat part, uh, I believe it comes from the Old Testament in the Strongs of 553. It's a heavenly audacity. It's a rushing into battle without considering the impossibilities. Guess what? If you're really doing what God called you to do, you probably can't do it on your own anyway. Not probably. You can't do it on your own. It's a confident in victory. It's a confidence in victory even before you get to the battle. Even before you get there, you're like, I'm going in and God is going to do something incredible here. It's calling your shot and saying, God is going to heal my wife even though it's cancer. Even by the natural means, this is going to be a tough gig. I love the audacity of that. And what a faithful God to keep speaking it back into our life so that we won't be afraid and we won't get discouraged. We, this is not a strength. This is not a you being this in your own flesh. This is understanding, God, you've got to be with me because this is what I'm going to do. I feel like you're telling me to do this. What, how can I not do this? How can I do anything else but follow and say, I don't feel like it. I feel like I have an empty boat, but I'm still going to put my boot on the neck of the enemy. That's why I kind of like the idea of the entire nation, all the men of Israel just coming up and going, oh, you see what that feels like? I kind of like that. There's an iconic picture of a famous boxer, and he's standing over the other guy, and he had just finished swinging. And he's kind of got this bicep pose, and he's standing over him, and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I'm not even a boxer, but I like the idea of this dominance, man. Sometimes we need to be reminded. It's not just the other people. It's us. It's the kingdom of God right here in the midst of us. Rock kazakamats means be strong and courageous. Have something different about us. Don't get tired. Don't get worn out. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Those must be two of the largest enemies that we're going to face when you're trying to demonstrate this. Right? I'm just afraid that I won't be. I'm afraid that I'm going to fail. I'm going to afraid that what God told me isn't going to come to pass and I'll look like a fool. You're going to look like a fool anyway if you listen to God. You can just get over that part. You're going to step out in faith and people are like, what are you doing? I don't know. If I knew that, then I wouldn't be as scared as I am. But I've got some kazak about me. I've got some amats about me that I'm going to be victorious even though I surely don't see it. And I know it's not going to be me. So God, what are you going to do about this? God, I'm running out of provision. What are you going to do? I'm not even going to get weighed down and burdened down with these things. I'm just going to say, God, this is you. Is there sin in the camp? Well, I'm going to get rid of it because I want your presence with me. You're going to do this with me. They won't be able to withstand what goes on here. At sunset, Joshua gave the order. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I skipped a verse. Be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you're going to fight. Then Joshua struck and killed the kings and hung them on five trees. And they were left hanging on the trees until evening. At sunset, Joshua gave the order, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had been hiding. At the mouth of the cave, they placed large rocks, which are there to this day. That day, Joshua took Makeda. He put the city and its king to sword and totally destroyed everyone in it. He left no survivors. When God grants you victory, it can be an ultimate victory. You can utterly destroy the enemy. You can utterly have a restored marriage. You can utterly have healed children. You can utterly have exactly 
what he intends for you to have. Regardless of where, how many times you've cast the net and how empty your boat seems. This is that tension that we've been talking about for a couple of months now in our church. The God has promised it, yet I don't see it yet. Don't be discouraged. What I want to do is I'm going to have uh, Pastor Matt and the praise team come back up. Uh, we're going to sing a worship song, or praise song, actually. I don't want it to be. I want, I want us to remember, <laughs> put your boot to the neck of the enemy. Well, I'm not very aggressive. I've got a very lighthearted, and I'm very gentle. I understand. Praise God. I'm glad God made you that way. Why is everybody looking at Sasha? Um, <laughs> we're just like, oh, she's so sweet. She is, and God has made her that way. And you know what? She's going to put her boot on the neck of the enemy. Because this isn't, a, this isn't about personality. It's not about human strength. It's not about your preferences. It's about us yielding to exactly what God has told us to do. Far too many people get discouraged. Far too many people get worn out before the blessing comes because they forgot their foot is designed to be on the neck of the enemy. They forget that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. All things are going to be under us. I know we're not there now. I know we struggle, but I'm still going to believe, and I'm going to start putting my foot, my boot on the neck of the enemy. Maybe for some of us while we sing here, you need to, you need to do a little dancing. You need to get over yourself, and you need to do some dancing because you know what? The enemy is under your feet. If you... Amen. If you, maybe some of you need to write something down that the enemy has been pounding you with. And you need to put it on the ground and stomp on it. I'm usually not that kind of person. I actually don't like little tricky things at the end of a service. But you know what? Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe you need to be reminded what it feels like to have your boot on the enemy's neck. Maybe it's been a little while. Maybe the battle has gone on and you're just worn out. We're going to praise God. And my hope is, is that you feel God's very approval upon you. That you will notice and that you will go, God, I don't feel it. I don't see it. But I want to put my boot on the neck of the enemy and be victorious. I want to have some rock Kazakh Amats here. Amen. Let's stand together.